0: Um, at least that's the way our weathermen seem to make us feel, the way they talk about it. Uh, but We're from northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, maybe a few of you. I think we can handle a little bit of snow. It was actually a live shot, so I, I'm just kidding, it's not that snowy. Um, my name is Steve, I'm one of the pastors here this morning. We're going to continue our series. I'm actually wrapping it up here this morning called In Real Life. We're looking at what does it look like uh, uh, to live as, as a follower of Jesus in daily life? And, and, and how does that uh, play out? How does that affect each aspect, each, each nook and cranny of our lives? And um, basically, it's been a series that's been looking, over, looking through some, not all, but just some spiritual disciplines. In the same way that a bodybuilder trains their body to be able to do what they want to do, or an athlete trains their body to be able to compete in the sport they're competing in, or a musician will practice their instrument, there's things we can do as a follower of Jesus that that will grow us in our faith, that will uh, help us along in our daily life. And and so we've been walking through some different things each week, and if you've missed any of the past weeks, you can go on the Meadowland app, um, which is available in the the app store or on um, the Android app store, whatever that's called. My apologies for not knowing that. Um, but you can uh, get there and listen to any of the messages or online at meadowlandchurch.org. And, uh, this morning we're going to wrap it up with uh, a message on worship. Worship as a spiritual discipline. That's what we're talking about here this morning. And uh, you know, Christmas is, is seen a lot of times as the, um, the tree-lined mountains covered in snow that are the backdrop of Thanksgiving. So when you hit Thanksgiving, you see Christmas right there. There's no escaping it. Uh, um, how many people the day after Christmas, the trees were going I'm sorry, the day after Thanksgiving, the ch- Christmas tree was going up, the Christmas lights that weekend. I mean, that, that, that was definitely something we saw in our culture. You saw uh, an influx of, of Christmas lights. Um, just down the street here, if you go north on Johnsburg Road, about a block or two past Ringwood Road, uh, this intersection right here, go about a block or two north. Uh, there, there's a little commercial complex where they set up all these lights. Um, they have a little nativity scene, they have all these uh, silly Santa scenes, and just a, a bunch of lights. It's a great thing to do with our kids. Anytime we're in the car with my daughters, uh, my oldest ask can we go see the lights, whether it's, you know, nine o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock at night. And, and this guy set all this stuff up uh, right there at uh, the, the day after Thanksgiving. Well, here we are uh, where it is now front and center. Uh, Christmas traditions are are beginning to play themselves out. I just learned a new one uh, that my wife told me about as far as St. Nicholas Day. I guess it's uh, a time around this general area, more so into Wisconsin. It's a little more of a, a common one. Um, it's just confirmed for me what I've always believed, that Wisconsin is weird, but they have really cute girls. Um, so I married one and brought her to Illinois. But... Uh, um, you know, so we can have some fun traditions in our families, and i 'm going to pay for that one later um, so we 've been talking about that, and, and, and you know Christmas music is one that we love. I think it 's very common if people would consider that a tradition or not, but we love to have Christmas music playing in our home, and uh, the TV gets turned off a little more often, and music gets played and we 've got this Christmas music that 's playing, and some are just fun, and maybe they invoke fun memories and uh, whereas I think other uh, Christmas songs are truly if we look at the words of them they 're truly songs. Of worship, well, one of my all-time favorites is "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." Emmanuel means God with us. It's this worship song of saying, "God, we want you to be with us. Come and be with us. Dwell among us." And that's what we celebrate in Christmas: is that God came to be with us. One that's been near and dear to my heart more lately this past season is "Come, Now Long Expected Jesus." And if you're familiar with that song. Maybe it doesn't sound like a Christmas song right off uh, the bat, but it's just, again, this this longing for, this waiting for the Messiah. We we saw in that video, Little Drummer Boy, it's it's one of my favorite videos. We played it last year, we did our Carol series, and uh, if you're here for that, it may look familiar to you. Um, But I've seen numerous remakes uh, of Little Drummer Boy lately. It just seems to be one of those songs where even if it's a a remake of a different song, it kind of finds its way into all these different songs. And I don't know if it's just the the simplistic tune, if it's the the heart of it. Um, But you have these verses where it says, Come, they told me, a newborn king to see our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king, so to honor him when we come. So the first verse is about how we, can, you know, we need to bring our, our, uh, Jesus a gift of honor. So this drummer boy, is okay, I, I've been called to bring him a gift. But he gets this point of, what, what do I have to give? Little baby, I'm a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give the king. Shall I play for you on my drum? And you see that in the video. It's, it's just this boy and his drum, and you kind of get the impression, how, how the video is put together, that that's, that's what he's got. I can play my drum, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll sing him a song. And so that's what he does. I can do what I can do for you, Jesus. And it gets this third line where it says, Mary nodded, the ox, the ox, lamb kept time. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. Then he smiled at me, me and my drum. It's his heart of, I, I can give you my best, Jesus. And I can worship you in that. So this little boy is playing a worship song on his drum. And at the same time, while he's playing this his worship song on a drum, He's also a living act of worship. We see that in the, in the, the, the lines of the song. Whereas I'm, I'm playing my best. This is what I have to offer to you, and I give it to you, Jesus. And, and so one of the reasons I'm talking about this song here this morning is because I, I think it bridges the gap between what uh, most people would think of when they think of worship and, and what we're going to be talking about here today, which is living worship. We want to bridge that gap between the concept of seeing to the concept of living. I mean, really think, think for a moment, what, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of worship to God? What was, what's one of the first expressions that come to mind when you think of that? I would imagine for many of you, it may be what we just did. Gathering together corporately or even on your own in song, where you sing God's praises. Whether it's something as simple as singing any song that fits into this, this subculture in our society that, that, that's called and referred to as Christian. If we sing one of those songs, that's worship, right? Maybe we take a step further and say, you know, for whatever uh, label it has, if we're singing a song that, 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 that's lifting up God, that's talking about His greatness, that's talking about who He is, whether it's on our own or corporately, okay, that's worship. Some of us, maybe when I asked that question, uh, uh, more than just the act of singing came to mind. Uh, Every Sunday here when we take an offering, we talk about how giving of of, of our uh, resources is an act of worship to God. When we uh, share the Word of God, when we read the Word of God, when we preach the Word of God, that's an act of of worship. When we we hear the Word of God, allow it to to mold our hearts, that's an act of worship. And so maybe you thought of everything that that kind of is all lumped together for a, a worship gathering. When we talk about worship in in a Sunday morning like this, we're not just talking about the time of singing, but everything we do from we walk in the door and we greet one another uh, with with brotherly love to when we, we head out to the parking lot. I would argue that even that is still too narrow, but that our entire lives, every moment, is an act of worship. Every moment of our lives is an act of worship. So the question we have to ask is worship to who? Worship to what? And how do, how do I live a life of worship? If every moment of my life is an act of worship, how do I live a life of worship to God? That's what we're looking at here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, if you need one, there should be one in the seats in front of you. you want to turn to Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Romans 11, verse 33 will be on the screen as well, Um if you want to turn on a Bible, that's fine too. We would definitely encourage whatever it takes to get the Word of God in front of you uh, on a daily basis. The, 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 the more you can get into the Word of God, the better. Again, if, as always, if you need a Bible uh, to call your own, don't you know please feel free to use the one in the pew and then take that home and call that yours. If you know someone that needs one, uh, take that and give that to them as a gift to them. Romans chapter eleven, verse thirty three. And in Romans is in one sense. Uh, the Apostle Paul is basically walking through some basics of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. He's, he's hitting on some of the main points, and he gets this point here in, in chapter 11, verse 33. Romans 11, 33, and on. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And this Amen it isn't, isn't just a it's not a, a closing to the thought, but it's a, it's, a, it's a punctuation point, a punctuation point of, Amen. This, this, this is what's true. Affirming this statement that from him Through Him and to Him are all things. And we see a glimpse of God when we look at those three things. All things are from God. God is our creator. All things are from Him. All things are through Him. He is our our sustainer and our provider. This world continues because God sustains it. Our lives continue because God sustains us. There's breath in our lungs because God is our sustainer and our provider. And all things are to Him. It's all His. He is sovereign. He is king and so he gets this conclusion: to him be glory forever because of these things because of these attributes of who god is to him be the glory basically what what Paul's saying here is because god is god he gets the glory because god is god he gets the glory it's almost a one sense you could say a, 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 def, a working def definition of god is that whoever or whatever is god receives the glory or receives the glory that's god we need to talk about this word glory here. Glory is, is giving honor or importance to something. Giving preeminence where it has a place of priority, a place of significance, a place of, of greatest value in your life is what you give glory. So what we hold in this highest place of glory in, in our lives, that's ultimately our God. You see, on one hand, I think we, we confess, okay, this is who our God is. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus. You've said, Jesus, you are my God. I follow you. You are the one I look to as far as how I should live my life, as far as how I should make decisions in my life. I turn to you. I want to build my life on you, the foundation of my faith, the author of my faith. I want to follow your example. We confess that, God, you are my God. But sometimes there's also a, a functional God. What I mean by that is, and sometimes they, they sneak their way in there and sometimes we invite them in where, where there's something that is, is given a place of glory in our lives above God. And maybe you come here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. Well, I, I would argue that there's still something that is a the seat of God. Whether it's, whether it's self, whether it's another person, whether it's an idea or an item. Um, see, in one way or another, we are all worshipers. We are living our lives to the glory of someone or to something. We've been given a life to live, and each moment that we live this life attributes glory. And here's what I mean by that: is Because in order to do anything, to say yes to doing anything, and even if that yes to, that we're saying is a yes to not do anything, we're giving whatever that choice is priority amongst anything else we could be doing. We're sacrificing Instead of doing these other things over here that we could be doing, here's what we're doing. We're giving glory to this. We're giving preeminence to this, priority to this. Whatever that this is, functionally, you could say that is God. The yes to one thing is a no to everything else. It's it's an act of sacrifice. See, worship is, is making sacrifice for what we are living to glorify. Worship is making us sacrifices uh, for what we are living to glorify. Let's go back to the text here. I want to keep reading. Um, so we get Romans, we have that last line there. Uh, uh, from him, through him, and to him, uh, to him be the glory. Amen. Let's pick up here in Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, we're called here in Romans 12 uh, to offer ourselves as, as a living sacrifice. So, this is uh, a spiritual worship. So to live a life of worship by offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God. I want to hit a real quick tangent. Um, if you're new to reading your Bible, or if this is new to you, either way, um, it's a great thing to be looking for as you're reading through the pages of Scripture. Uh, it's a, it's a, a fun little phrase. You can always, anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, you can ask the question what's the therefore, therefore? We we don't just start sentences, we don't just start thoughts with the word therefore. Because the the word therefore has this, this context of something has already come before, in light of what this is, we should then, whatever comes next. And so if I just said, therefore, we should all go build snowmen, it wouldn't make any sense. If I said, hey, I'm done for the day, service is over, and it's snowing outside, therefore, we should all go build some snowmen. Okay, it makes sense. It joins something together. And so we see here in verse 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. This is connecting the previous thought. So Paul said, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Therefore, because all glory goes to God, because of that, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So glory goes to God, therefore, be a living sacrifice. And that's worship. That's worship. That's what we're talking about here this morning is what that means to be that, that living sacrifice. See, see sacrifice is giving up things of, uh, or something or someone, you know, giving things up um, for something of, of greatest value, of greatest importance. Let me show you what I mean here. In the Old Testament, uh, they had a system of sacrifices that were set up. And uh, one of the things that you would make sacrifices for would be sin. And so say you'd, you'd sinned against your brother, you cheated them on a deal, you'd have to go and you'd confess that, and you'd offer a sacrifice. It would be called an atoning sacrifice. That sacrifice, whatever it was that you brought, would atone for, it would pay the price for your sins. And so that the, the death of that sacrifice would, would pay the price for whatever you did. It atoned for your sin. And a lot of times that sacrifice was either uh, an an animal, uh, something from your flock, or or it was a uh, a part of your, your grain harvest. It was something that you gave up, something that had value. You said, I sacrifice this for what I desire. I'm seeking forgiveness from God, so I sacrifice this animal. And so it wasn't just that uh, there, there was this ready supply of, of lambs or, or goats or, or whatever animal it was that they are sacrificing. They went to their own stables and pulled out this animal. And the heart was to take the best, to give God your best. And take their, their prized lamb and bring it to the temple and then sacrifice it. They went to temple with a lamb and they came home with nothing because they gave it up for something greater. They saw of greater value forgiveness, and so they sought that. See, we make sacrifices today when we make decisions on, on how we spend our time and how we live our lives and how we, how we use our resources, how we use our energy and our focus, uh, the things we do uh, with our bodies. We make sacrifices all the time. You know, there's the, the different professions out there that I see and I'm like, oh, I could do that, but I can't. Well, no, but, but I can. No, I can't. Because I've made sacrifices to walk a road that I've walked in life. Let me show you what I'm talking about here. Uh, I love architecture. Uh, um, I just love seeing how things go together. And not so much in the sense where I've studied, you know, the, the, the world's greatest architects. Um, but in the sense, I, I like to see how buildings fit together, how they stay together. And um, I see things I'm like, I'd love to build a home someday. And I see some of these things I'm like, ah, I could be an architect. Well, no, I can't because I don't know what I'm talking about. I haven't had the education or the training. Well, Steve, you could go do that. I could have, but I, I didn't, and I can't because I'm, I'm not going to make the sacrifices necessary to go pursue that. Because I've made sacrifices to pursue the road that I've already walked. Uh, my, my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, loves to watch the Food Network. I mean, it, it, it's the craziest thing. You know, um, A four-year-old who just loves Barefoot contests. I think that's one of the names of the one, and um, Pioneer Woman, I don't know. Um, but it's awesome. She just loves to watch how, how things are made. And I, I, I look at that and I'm like, well, if I had the right training, I could do that. Well, no, I can't. No, I can't because I, I haven't made the sacrifice to, to learn those things. And so we make sacrifices today in our daily lives by the decisions we make and the choices We make. And so we need to, to acknowledge also that when we're talking about being a living sacrifice, the Old Testament sacrifice, something was spent, it was used up, you offered it at the temple, and it was gone. And depending on what it was, some of it would go to the priest, some of it would just be burned up, but it was something that uh, no longer was usable. But to be a living sacrifice is a sense in which there's an ongoing outpouring of ourselves, a daily offering of ourselves, a surrendering of our will to God. We see this in in the Lord's Prayer when the disciples are talking to Jesus. And Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done. It's this heart of surrender. And so two areas of our life that we need to surrender. And first one is this. First, we need to, to surrender to Jesus for salvation if we want to have our lives be a life of worship, if we want to grow in our spiritual walk through the spiritual act of worship, the first thing we need to do is surrender our lives to Jesus. It's got to start there. We see in in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. By the mercy of God. So what what that's referring to here is... um, We see in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has had mercy on us and offers us this free gift. We are dead in our sin, and that means we're separated from God in the ways that we've gone against His word. We're separated from God in the way we've missed the mark of what He calls us to. But God gives us this free gift. He's merciful upon us. He sees how we're separated. He says, here, I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to be with me. And so I, I show you mercy. I offer you this free gift in Christ Jesus our Lord. We also see, then so we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Okay, well, Steve, I'm all about, the, you know, I'm willing to give this worship thing a try. i offer my body as a living sacrifice. But how do I be holy and acceptable I still mess up at times. There's, there's weeks that my life is a mess. There's days, there's moments where my life is still a mess. We need to be holy and acceptable. And you know what? This is, again, not something we can do on our own, but by surrendering to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, this is referring to Jesus, uh, so that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Because of the work that Jesus does in our lives. We place Him, uh, we say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. I believe you are who you said you were. Jesus claimed to be God. Anytime that someone says, I just think Jesus was a good teacher, it kind of drives me crazy. If you feel that way, I apologize, but it drives me nuts when someone says, I just think Jesus was a good teacher. The claims He made, the statements He said, if someone got up here this morning and said, Hey, I'm so and so and I'm God, no matter how much you like that person's other teachings, either A, they're right and they are God, or B, they're crazy. They're insane. And so to say he was simply a good teacher, it doesn't work. Because he claimed to be God. And so when we say, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are, I believe you died on the cross, you went to the grave, uh, three days later you rose again, defeating death, you're seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and you're coming again to bring us home. And that in you there's salvation, in you that there's forgiveness. We're made holy and acceptable. We're made righteous in Christ. And so the first step of worship is to surrender to Jesus. Let's say it's it's a free gift we've been given. We're made right, we're made holy, so that when God looks at us, he sees a holy and acceptable life. That's the first thing. Secondly, we we need uh, to surrender to the will of God for our daily lives. We need to surrender to the will of God for our daily lives. And this is living this life of worship. In the Old Testament, you had the Torah, which was, uh, you know, you see that in the first five books of the Bible. And you see over 600 laws uh, of here's how you go and live your life. Instructions for how how, uh, the the Jews would have uh, lived their lives, how the Israelites, God's people, would would have lived out their daily lives. That's, that's a lot to kind of take in. Okay, let's narrow that down. Let's, let's go to Exodus 20 where you see the Ten Commandments. You see, basically, God frees his people from Egypt. They were in slavery. They're freed from Egypt. They're let across the Red Sea, and they get to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up on the, on the mountainside and has, spends time with God, and God gives them these Ten Commandments on, on tablets, and he brings them down and gives them to the people. What's interesting about these is in the Ten Commandments, we, we see the heart of God, we see the will of God for how we're to, to live in our daily lives. But if we follow just the first two, it takes care of the rest. The, the, the first one is, that you, should, you know, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. I am God, God says. And the second is this, is that you should have no idols. You shouldn't have any idols. Don't worship anything else. I'm your God and don't worship anything else. And if we follow that, if we pursue that in our life, if we surrender our will to that, instead of saying, here's what I want to do, we say, no, you're God and we're not going to have any other idols. What do you want me to do? How do I live my life for you? That's how we live a life of worship. God basically says, I am God and I get the glory. And and to break from that, to break from giving God glory, to break from giving God worship is idolatry. It's idolatry. See, we, we only break the rest of God's commandments after we've broken those first two, Right? Because see, uh, there's a Christian philosopher, there Peter Kraft, <coughs> says the opposite of Christianity is not uh, atheism, but idolatry. The opposite of Christianity is not atheism. It's not saying there is no God. It's idolatry. It's giving worship to anything but God. And this is a much broader term than, than uh, I think we may first comes to mind. I think we, see, we hear the word idolatry. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but first thing I think about is some temple with a, with a false god, a, an image uh, of a false god, a statue. Uh, maybe it was just something that was hand-carved or something that, that was chiseled out of the rock. But uh, that, you know, I think, okay, that's an idol, right? Um, okay, well, that, that's, that's one example of an idol. But if we look at Romans chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, I think we see a greater picture of what it means uh, to have an idol. Romans 1.24 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and, uh, and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So when referring to those who were not following God, Paul says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served uh, creature not the creator they worship and served what was created as opposed to the one who created it and that's this picture of idolatry uh, giving worship to anything but god and we see this all the times in our culture there's people who uh exchange the truth of of god for a lie in the area of career they say, okay, I, I need to be uh, at the top of my game, top of my career. I've got to keep pursuing. You have to sacrifice everything else for the sake of my career. And, and, and I know I have to give up extra time with family. I have to give up some relationships. I have to give up uh, um, coming on Sunday because uh, church, uh, cause I work on Sundays. And that, that you know, I get the extra edge in front of someone else. We, we give up all these other things. We make all these other sacrifices. Working hard at your career is not a bad thing. That actually, uh, I, I would argue, is an act of worship that brings God glory and honor to work hard. But when that becomes uh, a, something that, that, that uh, is worshipped in our life, all of a sudden, uh, now, now it's, it's, it's an idol. We, you know, we move to this place where we're willing to sacrifice family. We, we don't ever get a Sabbath, a day of rest, because we're so driven to say, okay, you no know, career, 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 career. I need to advance, I need to advance, I need to advance. There's times in our lives where we can worship our, our own sexual desires. This is one of the things that leads people to a place of adultery, where we're willing to sacrifice our own marriages, we're willing to sacrifice um, relationships for the sake of just a, a sexual appetite. With regards to possessions, we can make possessions an idol in our life, things. And this could lead us, again, you know, if, we, if we live out those first two commandments, the rest will follow. But if we're breaking those first, once we've broken those first two, it kind of leads down the, the road. So if, if we um, aren't worshiping God, but we worship things, to say, I need to have this, I need to have these things in my life, uh, that can lead us to a place of, of theft or coveting that we see in you know, some of uh, the other um, Ten Commandments. When we exchange a truth about God for a lie, when we worship the created, Instead of the Creator, that's idolatry. We see that in, in uh, people who worship the earth. And uh, I'm all about taking care of the earth, uh, and you see that pretty clearly in Genesis where, where God uh, uh, gets, creates this world and puts Adam in the garden and, and this heart of caring for. and those first things he does is name the animals and, and tends the garden and, and works the land. But there, there's a, a mindset out there. That exchanges the truth of what God says about this world—that it's a created thing. It says, "No, it's it's, all all of earth is God, and and everything is God, and we need to treat it as such." And we need uh, people who will will walk over someone who is hurting to go hug a tree. Uh, I'm all about recycling. I'm all about reducing uh, uh, pollution and, and taking care, being a good steward of what God has given us. But when we begin to place uh, earth in, in this position of mother earth, of, uh, of a place of God, now we're, now we're dabbling in idolatry. This, this is one uh, I see where people exchange the truth of God for a lie, where we begin to worship creative things. It, it, it's pets. This is something that's growing and growing in our culture. Is it wrong to love a pet? No. Is it wrong to love cats? It pains me to say, but no. No, sorry, Adam may not be wise. It'll kill you in your sleep, but... I'm just kidding. It's not wrong to love your pet. It's not wrong to care for what God has created as long as we're not putting that in a position above God. But again, just like earlier, I've seen where people put uh, pets in a place above humans. God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into him. Breathe life into man. Whereas animals are made the same way the earth was. God spoke, there it is. Alright, make some dogs, make some cats, make some ferrets. And it was. But God took time. Uh, We're we're image bearers of God. Dogs and cats are not image bearers of God. We exchange the truth of God. We we worship created things. Maybe there's a hobby. You know, what's interesting is, is you think of uh, you think about a church, and, and um, every church is a little different, I understand. Like, think of the church building specifically. But there's still this feel of, okay, that, that you know we're all uh, un- unified, and, and our focus wants to go one place. And hopefully if we're doing it right, we're saying we, we come together, and our, our focus wants to be on God. We want to turn to God to give God the glory to say, God, this is your word, we believe it to be true. We want to uh, corporately work together to see how do we apply this to our life. And, and the focus uh, of the building is, is trying to reflect that of say, okay, if the focus of the church is to be on God, how can the building, how can the environment set that same focus? And what's interesting, if you walk into a movie theater, you get that same feel, right? You walk into a stadium, a sports arena, you get that same. You walk into a living room with the 55-inch flat screen on the television, which is visible from every angle of the house and the massive surround sound, you get that same feel. And again, in and of themselves, not that these things are wrong, but when they become to take on a place of worship in our lives where we make sacrifices to be able to engage in those things over others. I had a buddy in college who, every Sunday, man, he had season tickets to the Bears. And I talked to him about, hey, you know, what's your church life look like right now? How are you involved in the body of Christ and saying, this is my local church where God's using me? Uh, and it was kind of it wasn't really there. Because every Sunday, he was going to the game. Again, is it, is it wrong to go to a game on a Sunday? No. But he was making sacrifices. And, and the more and more you began to look at the sacrifices he was making, you could make the argument, his, his functional God was the stadium on those Sundays. It's been said that the human heart is an idol factory. And so how how do we practically speaking, How do we live this life of worship to God? I'm going to give you five things. How do we practically live this life of worship? The first thing we do is deal with these false idols, which is repent. We deal with the false idols uh, by repentance. See, idolatry is, is a worship problem. It's a worship problem. Philippians 3, 17-20 tells us this. Brothers, join in imitating me, as the Apostle Paul is speaking, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, uh, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. We're saying keep focused on those who are still walking with God because there, there are many who are, are, are falling away. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul's talking about these people who've, who've fallen away from God, and he's saying their God is their belly, their glory is their glory in their shame with mind set on earthy, earthly things. They've moved to this place where they're worshiping created things. And so how, how, how is uh, uh, you know, their God their belly? Maybe, maybe it's a, a drinking issue. Where, where alcohol has become a place uh, of sacrifice, where they sacrifice all these other things in life for the pursuit of alcohol, for the pursuit of drunkenness, and now that is your functional God. You sacrifice family uh, and finances and relationships. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's an eating issue, where food has become your God. Or maybe it's not an ovary, maybe it's not eating at all, where, where image has become your God. You have to look a certain way, and so you take it to the extremes where all of a sudden uh, uh, your diet becomes something that you're constantly making sacrifices for, above God. Maybe there's you know, other examples of how idolatry can work itself uh, through our lives. Is, is maybe, maybe I have a lust or pornography problem because my my sexual appetite is my God. That I make sacrifices in order to feed that appetite. Maybe, maybe there's a gambling problem. You say, uh, uh, getting rich quick is my God. I mean, money is my God. I have to try to get that as quick as I can. Maybe you say, I have a materialism problem. But see, here's the thing. Whatever you put in there, I have this kind of problem. That's not your problem. That's not the kind of problem you have. What, what, what we have is a worship problem. In Philippians 3, it's saying their God is their belly. If they say, my God is my God, that would inform them how to go and live. So what we need to do is is we can't just pull the weeds. And here's what I mean by that. We can't just pull the weeds. When you pull weeds, if you just tear the top of the weeds off, what's going to happen? They're going to come back. You say, okay, next season they come back. Well, no, they they, they should come back, you know, in a few weeks. if we say, I got a drinking problem. Okay, I'm going to cut that out of my life and throw that aside. It's like pulling the weeds off. Because it's not just a drinking problem. It's a worship problem. So, okay, I, I have an integrity problem. Okay, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to cut, cut that weed off. I'm done with it. Okay, now I'm good. No, There's a worship problem. You need to address the root. And the root is a worship problem. When I was a young man going from high school into college, um, that was a point in my life where I really began to um, experience accountability. Where, where Christian brothers... Um, or any, you know, your UK sisters uh, gather around one another and lift one another up. And, and out of love, we ask each other hard questions. We, we, we support one another. Um, we allow the other into our lives to see into some of the, the, the uh, um, secretive places of our lives. Say, how are you living for God? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? How can I lift you up? How can I hold you accountable? for the choices you're making. And there were some areas of our lives that we were trying to address and we had all these different things where, okay, when you do this, you got to call so-and-so, you have to do this. and Good intention things, but at the root of it, all we were doing was pulling weeds. We weren't addressing the worship problem. Well, how do you address the worship problem? Well, we need to repent. Repentance is addressing the worship problem. Because see, what repentance is, is, is if you're going this way, and, and here's the, the we that you pursue in your life, repentance is stopping and turning and going the other way and I love this, you know, i have talking about the Ten Commandments. So if you know the story, when Moses is up on the, the mountainside receiving the Ten Commandments, it's taken so long. And also the people are getting restless and they're like, what's going on? Moses led us here. Uh, we're freed, but what's going on? And all of sudden someone has the great idea, hey, we need, we need another God. We'll, we'll, we'll get this golden calf. So give me all your gold. They all give their gold. And they melt it down. And they form this golden calf and they start dancing around it, worshiping it, praising it, saying this golden calf is now our God. They, they go to idolatry right after after they've seen God do these amazing things, rescuing them from Egypt. Moses comes down, throws the tablets, and says, you know, this is not right. We worship God. And so what's he do? He, he burns it with fire. He grinds it into a powder. He puts it in the water. And he makes him drink it. He gets rid of that idol. He cuts it off at the root. And then he draws people back to God to say, we need to worship God and God alone. We need to deal with our idol problem. We need to repent and deal with our idol problem. See, here's the thing. It's easier to see other people's idols in their life than it is to see our own sometimes. And so I'd encourage you to find a a trusted brother or sister in Christ and say, help me to see areas of my life where, functionally speaking, maybe I've got some other idols I, I need to work through. Here's some questions we can ask of ourselves and of one another. Who or what rules over your life in determining how you live? When you think about the decisions to spend your time the way you do, your your energy the way you do. Who or what rules over my life determining how I live? Who or what is my judge that I am living to earn the approval of? Who is our judge that we're living to earn the approval of? Where do my first fruits go? My first fruits of my day, the first fruits of my energy, the first fruits of my resources. Where do they go? What things take the majority of Of my life. These are some questions we can ask of one another. These are questions we can ask of ourselves to see where could there be some idols in our life that we need to repent of, so that we can stop doing what that is and start worshiping God. And we can take this next step of of worshiping God through renewal, pressing on in Jesus. We see. So we looked at Philippians. 3.17 3.17 was, we're talking about how the God is their belly, they set their minds on earthly things. If we go a little before that, we see in that same passage, Philippians 3.12-14, through 14, Paul says this, now, now that I have already obtained this, or not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call Of God in Christ Jesus, Uh, imagine you're running a race. Repentance is you were running the wrong way. That's the goal line. You're making a beeline to your left. Repentance is saying that's not where I'm going. That's my goal, Christ. And so it's this turn, and, and now you're facing God. So you repent. Well, renewal is that act of running, taking those steps towards God, saying that's where I'm going. I'm running. And there's times, I think, in our, in, our, in our faith where we stop and we just kind of stand there and we're like, okay, now i got some worship problems coming in. What's the problem? Well, because we're not renewing ourselves in Christ. We're not running towards, we're not pressing in to Jesus. And so we live a life of worship by repenting. We live a life of worship by renewing ourselves in Christ. Those are kind of internal things. There's some external ways I think we can live a life of worship as well. We can live as a missionary in this world. Uh, we see... See, I love culture. Because see, culture isn't in of itself a bad thing. Culture is an example of, it's a reality of what society worships. So society has things that it worships, and the things that it worships pour themselves out as culture. Therefore, culture only reveals the object of society's worship. You see this in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul walks into Athens and he sees all these idols. And that was their culture because they were worshiping anything and everything. They actually want to make sure they didn't miss anything, so they set up an idol to an unknown God. And so Paul walks in and he says, Okay, I see all these things. I see their culture is one of worshiping multiple gods. The culture is revealed by what they worship. See, we're not trying to create a Christian subculture that kind of has its place in culture in general. We're trying to engage in the culture of the world around us with the hope and forgiveness and life that is found in Jesus. And so what does Paul do? He finds a, a pocket, in, in a way to uh, speak into their lives. He says, okay, if you have this idol here to the unknown God. Let me tell you about the unknown God. You're, you're a people of worship. Let me tell you about the true God. Who we worship, and so in this example of, of living in the world, of, of engaging in culture, there's, there's three more things we can do. First, there's aspects of culture we can receive. There's aspects of the world around us we can receive. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. They're, 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 they're good things. I think this is where Paul would say, "You are people that worship." Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good thing. But let me let me tell you who to worship because that's what's good when we worship God. So we tell you about this God. It's a good thing as we look into people's lives is to realize that um, I haven't met a person yet who's doing everything wrong. It may feel that way, but I haven't met a person yet who's doing everything wrong. Even someone whose life is a mess knows how to give good gifts to their child. Even someone who, 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 whose world is falling apart can see someone who is poor and, and, and also going through some trouble and, and have compassion on them. So we have to acknowledge that not, not everything people are doing is wrong. Oh, there's some aspects that, uh, of this culture, aspects of this world that are just. There's nothing wrong with; them. they're good. We can just receive them. But there's other things that we need to reject, other things in this world that, that are just evil, have nothing to do with God. You know, uh, th- things that, that that would fall into this is, um, you know, worshiping false gods. Dabbling it, 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 with spirits as far as uh, tarot cards or Ouija boards, those kind of things, have nothing to do with that as, as a worshiper of God. Those are things that we should just flat out reject. Some of the, the things we see in our society as far as what they worship, they worship their sexual appetite and we see it play itself out with pornography and strip clubs and, and, and all those kind of things and, and, and having loose marriages. And No, we need to reject that. We see our, our culture worshiping money and, and sac- making all these sacrifices for the pursuit of, of wealth. We need to reject that. And then finally, we can also redeem. What are the things that we can redeem? And see, this is the work of Jesus in a culture. It's where things are redeemed. where We see traditions. Of the I think Christmas is a great example of that. I've heard people say, ah, oh, Christmas is, is this winter socialist holiday that the Christians hijacked. I think it was redeemed. They found this time uh, it, it, at some point in history where, where um, there's a celebration of the changing of the seasons, there's a celebration of, of this new life. And the Christians are saying, hey, we, we have new life in Christ. Let's redeem this holiday, what we used to be about this. Let's redeem it and make it about this now. And so you can say, here's its rules. I, I, I don't care. We can redeem it and say, this is what it's about now. We can make it about this. We can make it about God. And so how do we live a life of worship. But we need to repent, we need to renew daily, we need to receive what's good, reject what's not, and be used by God to see this world redeemed by engaging culture. We'll leave with this, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if God is first in our life, Everything we can do can be an act of worship. If everything we do, if our job is because of what God calls us to as far as caring for our family, that's an act of worship. If the responsibilities we live out is because of what God calls us to as members of society, that's an act of worship. The things we don't do because God says, no, don't touch it, that's sin, that's evil, it's an act of worship. To give God glory and say, You are God, and I will give you my best. I will sing for you. I will pray, play my drum for you. Whatever I got is yours, is an act of worship. Let us pray. Father God, You are God, and we are not. You are worthy of glory. You are worthy of praise. Help us to live lives of worship where we put You first, Father where we we repent of sin, we we renew ourselves in Jesus. We're found in you, Father. Fix our worship problems. Help us to see idols in our life and and to to remove them, to burn them, to grind them to a powder and drink them and and be done with them. Help us to remove these idols, Father, and replace them with you, with worshiping you to make sacrifices in our life because of what you ask us to do, because of what you call us to, because of a life modeled after you. Thank you for the example in Jesus. Father, I thank you that we can um, offer ourselves to you as this act of worship. Help us to be a living sacrifice. Help us to think about 1 Corinthians. It talks about everything we do do it for the glory of God. When we open our mouths, when we don't open our mouths, when we use our energy, we use these bodies, everything we do between now and when you return, Father, let us be thinking about how can I do this for the glory of God? How can I be a husband for the glory of God? How can I be a wife for the glory of God? How can I be a son or a daughter for the glory of God? How can I be a worker for the glory of God? How can I be a boss for the glory of God? How can I be a man and a woman of integrity for the glory of God? We want our lives to give you glory, Father. Because you are God, and you alone are worthy. Amen.